So how do you know when you're in a good place to hold space for someone else for a psychedelic experience, essentially? Okay. Think about the first human being in, his, in history who picked up a mushroom and said, hmm, this might feed me or kill me, and had a little nibble and said, well, I didn't die, so maybe I can eat more of this. And they eat the whole mushroom, and suddenly they're talking with God. <laughs> I mean, this is one of the ongoing theories of how religion started 40 to 50,000 years ago with like cults worshiping Venus. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a famous drawing of, a, of like the mushroom man, of an ancient, ancient, ancient cave drawing of a man that appears to be covered in mushrooms. And it's like one of the most ancient uh, petroglyphs mm. ever. And coincides with other archaeological evidence for the formation of these goddess worshipping, animist cults. I mean, we use the word cults. That word has a sort of negative connotation. But in in an archaeological or historical context, it's not meant like how we mean a cult. Um, People people worshipping the goddess. Fertility rites, all that kind of stuff. So those people... Did anyone walk up to them 50,000 years ago and say, you, you can lead ceremonies. I tell you now, you can lead ceremonies. We're talking like they didn't even have a concept of religion in any way that has survived with any kind of record. So who gave those people permission? Who gave those people authority? There is no one who can say you can or you can't. Um, I mean, there are, depending on which country you're in, there are legal entities that say, if you do this, we're going to, you know, we're going to punish you. Um, and if things go wrong, this is important to think about. If things go wrong, we're going to punish you really severely. You're really going to, it's going to sting really badly. I'm not putting any judgment on that either way. I'm just saying that's the social contract. So that's something that you need to be prepared for, um, Are you prepared for whatever the consequence is? If the person has undiagnosed, unmanifest, but present psychosis or schizophrenia, and they become psychotic, potentially indefinitely, though that's, we're talking extremely rare. Extremely, extremely rare. But it brings this up, right? It manifests it from inside of them pulls it out to the surface. In my, what I've seen, that's usually at least a year-long recovery process. And when I mean a year-long, I mean that person is not functional in a normal way for at least a year. In, that's what I've seen. In, in a, the very, very few cases that I've seen, out of a thousand people that I've personally sat with uh, at Ballpark, that's, you know, I've seen two people go through that. Mm -hmm. So very rare, but you have to go, what is your responsibility to that? Mm -hmm. If you open that Pandora's box for that person, what is your responsibility to that person? That's my first thing that comes up. Well, what can you do? What can you do for that person? I mean, you just need to really show up for them in whatever way you possibly can. One thing 
this is not the truth. This is just my perspective. And what I have seen is that people who go through that and then end up, you know, sort of in the psych ward and tranquilized and that kind of thing, they tend to stay stuck in it. This is the, this is the general the general consensus among people who hold space for this kind of work that I have encountered is that if someone has a psychotic break while working with psychedelics of any kind and they are then tranquilized, chances are it will be a long, slow, and possibly never timeline for recovery. So that's the other side of things is making sure that you really trust the people who are saying, no, I'm, I'm, I can handle this. Like you got to know, like okay, do they have a family history of of psychosis, schizophrenia, etc.? There's no one who can say, okay, you're ready. For, I mean, speaking for myself personally, I had had uh, spiritual experiences, ceremonial experiences, uh, experiences with the spirit realm since my earliest memories, and then went through years of formal training and then went through years of apprenticeship. That's, that's me. That's my path. I'm not saying that my path is better or worse than anyone else's. I'm just saying that's how I got to be here in this moment with all of you. People walk many different roads and there's nothing better or worse about one road or another as long as people are acting authentically and they're acting with integrity and they're acting with everyone's best interests at heart and taking everyone's needs and safety into account. That's my bottom line. If you're acting authentically, as in really coming from within yourself, from the truth of yourself, if you're acting in integrity, meaning that you are you're saying what you do and you're doing what you say. Like you're walking your talk. Like I'm not up here, I'm not up here saying let's all work towards healing and then I'm going home and doing cocaine and drinking alcohol and uh, watching TV or whatever, whatever activity that we can place a negative judgment on. We can have an, we can take those, these activities and say, well, this is bad, this is wrong. But they're distractions, right? They're ways of running away from ourselves. Whatever it is, whether it's being a workaholic or, or watching six hours a day of Netflix or doing cocaine all day, whatever it is, it's a way of running away from our pain and running away from ourselves. So I'm not up here saying, if you walk this path, then you can free yourself from your vices while at simultaneously having lots of vices. Um, in other words... I don't have those vices, and so that I, I, I feel that I'm living with integrity. I can go at the end of the day and say, you can be free from these vices. It's possible, and I am free from those vices. I'm free from those compulsions. I'm not telling you something in theory. So that's what I mean when I just wanted to break down what exactly integrity means to me, because it can mean all kinds of things to different people. And then acting in a way that takes everyone's uh, needs and safety into account. So I'm not coming in here, you know, many of us heard the story how in Peru there was a, I believe, a young Canadian man about 18 years old, 19 years old, something like that. He was down there. He drank some ayahuasca. The shaman went into his office and just watched Peruvian soap operas while this young man stumbled out into the jungle and was killed. That's obviously a very dramatic story, but there are less dramatic stories too. 
There are stories of um, people just not knowing how to help their friends, wanting to know, wanting to help their friends, but their friend is reacting in a way that they don't know why they're reacting that way and they don't know how. So I think that this is my summary answer to that whole question is you need to be confident that whatever happens, you can handle it in a good way, that you can handle it in a constructive way. And the honest truth is that I have sat with um, many different people who believed that they were confident that they could hold space in a positive way. And we are all human, and I've seen those people mess up really badly in my, you know, in my presence, immediate presence. I've seen people mess up really badly. I've seen people that I have trained and who have informally apprenticed under me mess up in really bad ways. <laughs> Maybe I wasn't as instructive as I could have been, you know? It, it's an opportunity for me to reassess where I can improve myself. But at the end of the day, we need to feel confident that whatever happens, we can act with that person's best interests at heart. And also the best interests of the community. And that we can trust ourselves to know how to balance our own personal interests, which are always there. Ego never goes away. You know, ego death is certainly very momentary. Um, so balancing our own interests as individuals with the, indi the interests of individual people we are holding space for with uh, the community's interests. For example let's say that you're at ceremony and someone has, has, is having a heart attack. What is in your best interests, the best interest of the community and the best interest of that person? Best interest of that person is to get the medical treatment absolutely quickly as possible. Depending if you're in a place where working with plants is illegal, it could potentially have negative consequences for the community. So how do you balance all of that, right? I mean, that one's fairly obvious get the person medical attention and whatever the consequences are, that's the consequences. I was once doing private ceremonies with a family who um, the mother was dying of cancer. And uh, I went into that knowing, went into this situation knowing this. And on one of the ceremonies, I, I held her in my arms and we all, including herself, thought she was going, that she was going to die in my arms. She really seemed to be, her body was just, seemed to be ready to, ready to turn off the switch. That, yeah, she didn't, by the way. <laughs> but in that moment, I, I had to confront myself. Say, okay, if this woman dies in my arms, how am I going to handle this? Am I going to be honest? Am I going to face whatever consequences come? Or am I going to turn away? Am I going to try and run in this devastating moment? And for me, I, I, I felt very strongly, okay, if, if this woman passes in my arms, traditionally in the way that I taught, like that's essentially one of the ideal times to pass. You're already there. <laughs> you're already there. You've already crossed the threshold. If you're ready to go, just don't come back. It's fine. But in modern culture, 
that's not how it's perceived. So I came to the conclusion that if she passed in my arms, I was going to pick her up, put her in my car, and drive her to the hospital. You know, she's, there's nothing they could do for her. And then I would honestly answer whatever questions they asked. As long as it didn't have potential to cause harm for her family. Right? So again, balancing my own needs and wants, my, my desire for, to maintain my liberty, for example, and freedom of my body. Balancing that with her needs and the needs of her family. I think that's probably all I can say about all that. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Or at least is, that, is it an answer to your question? It's certainly an answer. Okay. <laughs>